0: So to give a bit of a background, I want to introduce myself. So my name is Carmen, um, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm the founder of Another Startup Story. My background is actually in finance, so I'm actually a qualified accountant, and I used to work in a creative agency as the financial controller. And whilst working there, I I saw the first-hand problem in that a lot of the creatives Lacked um, in the business acumen side, and they they actually struggled in terms of setting rates and and there was a big divide between the creative world and and the business world, which is kind of why another startup story uh, was born. It was very much to bring the two worlds together because you know we live in this millennial age, and so many people are. Starting new businesses and wanting to pursue their passions, um, but may not have the business background behind it to actually um, to start a business. And so that's kind of how the idea came about. Um, and I am now business coach coach for creative creatives and early stage startups. Um, and so we've got a really exciting panel um, today. Round of applause to um, our panel, please. <laughs> So to give us a bit of a background, do you guys just want to give a brief background about what you do and how you started doing what you do?
1: Sure, my name's Dan, so good to see you here. And I just want to say I love this event, so um, well done for putting it on. I've been to a few different events, I guess, and um, this has got something unique about it, so well done to you, love it. Hi guys,
2: um, so I am Nadia and I do Instagram and YouTube and I do like online content creation, Um, And I cover everything, beauty, lifestyle, fashion,
3: and all of that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, (laughs) that's what I do. Hi, my name's Esther. So I started Fabric for Freedom, which is a sustainable women's wear clothing brand. So we aim to um, create a company that benefits people and has limited impact on the environment as well as preventing climate change.
0: Amazing. Um... So I guess my my first question is, where, where did it all start? As in, I'm assuming most of you were doing some sort of 9-to-5 job beforehand. Um, what made you get into doing what you were doing?
1: Okay, so I was a buyer in the fashion industry for about... Uh, well,
3: I've been in the fashion industry about eight years now. Um. So it was just seeing first hands the issues within the industry. We all know with all these climate change protesters and everything that sustainability is a big thing this year. I first saw it about five years ago and that was only because I was a buyer working in it. Now, as a buyer, everything that you see in a store, it's a buyer has put there. So I have taken it from sketch to production and put it into store. So that means that if there's an issue with the supply chain or there's any unethical behaviours, I know about it and I've probably caused that as well. So it was from my first job that I realised that just things weren't okay um, within the fashion industry. I was on the phone to suppliers and they were still at work at 3am in the morning because of the pressure I was putting them under to stay and fulfil my orders. I was the one that was negotiating $2 decreases on product, knowing that I'm not going to suffer as a brand. and um, The supplier probably isn't going to suffer as a supplier, but it's the workforce that suffers because that's where you get unpaid overtime and bad working conditions and lack of health and safety and child labour. The pressures that the fashion industry put on people lead to 300,000 cotton farmers committing suicide each year. And that's just the surface level of it. It goes so much deeper than that that i just really wanted to create a brand that did something positive and um, when i say about like the exploitation of people it also comes from people in the uk as well so i've seen so many young girls and y- young boys come out of uni like t- to pursue their amazing career in fashion and get so badly treated and they're so um discouraged they re- really badly treated and so their self-worth just just goes so down, and they don't believe in themselves, and the lack of confidence purely because of what buyers and other people within the fashion industry are, uh, treating them like. So it's the exploitation is not just in the developing world of the people that are um, creating our product. It's also from the UK and the what what the fashion industry does to people. So that's why I wanted to create a brand. I wanted to do business better. I wanted to create a brand that empowers and respects. Um, also that gives a bit back. and It's all about circular, c- the circular economy um, and also that limits the effect it has on the environment. So our clothes are all made in the UK so I can guarantee fair wages and good working conditions. I source my fabric. It's mixed, recycled, organic and plant-based fabrics as well so I know that there's limited uh, impact on the environment. And I really try and use my platform to make people aware of sustainability. It's not about making people feel guilty at all because... Like I said, I was a buyer. That's the only reason I knew. Um, it's just more using my platform to educate people about the way they con- the way that they consume has an impact on our world. And if everyone does a little bit, it doesn't have to be the full works, and we can all make a positive impact. It's cool. Very um, cool.
2: So my story is that I... Since I was about four years old. I've always loved fashion. I remember being so young um, and I would dress myself. My mum would try and pull out outfits for me and I wouldn't listen. I'd make my own outfits. And so I always knew I wanted to be in something to do with fashion or beauty, but I never quite knew how to do that. Um, And so then I went to uni and I studied uh, business and marketing. And I did the course and I don't regret doing it, but I never enjoyed it. Um, And then I graduated and I went straight into a sales job for about... I think I was, it was a year's job and I was there for about six months and after six months I realised I, I just—I couldn't do it anymore, I hated it so whilst I was in that job I was kind of doing Instagram and kind of trying to build a following but um, I think I'd had about 20,000 uh, followers when I left and I got up and left my job and I got home and I realised like, I either have to find another job or I have to make this work because I have nothing else. Um, and then yeah it just kind of worked I remember trying to find a job for about six months like continuously sending out my CV and trying to look for something but whilst I was doing that I was growing my platforms and it got to the point where I was doing fine doing social media so that was about a year and a half ago maybe two years and ever since then I've just been doing social media and then I started up my YouTube and yeah so that's how I got here <laughs> very,
1: very Um I was My job title was creative director and I lead a communications team of about 10 people. Um, and so we were chatting about ideas and campaigns that we were working on. And um, I just felt like, even though we had some great ideas, I just wanted to sort of step out a little bit. So called up a couple of mates. One worked for Adidas, one worked for Burberry, one worked for Saatchi and Sachi, And I just got coffee I said, um, you know, what are you looking at at the moment? What's the shop window for Christmas going to be like, etc, cetera, et cetera. And every person I caught up with, they're just like, oh, can we just hang again? I just want to, can we just go for a drink? Can we go for a beer? And uh, what I realised is, everyone I kept catching up with, I was catching up so I could like get some wisdom from them in terms of like aesthetics, and they just wanted a mate. And um, whether they're a like, in the industry, a lot of their work colleagues, as much as they are friends with their work colleagues, they just wanted someone who was separate from work that they could just, just have a have a mate. So that's why I set up the Media Collective. It's just a space with um, you know people do network and they make friends, but the re- the reason we came up with it was just because um, we just noticed that that even though it's a very busy world, the creative world, it can still be lonely and busy at the same time. And I think that's probably why it is a bit lonely, because you're so busy just doing what you want to do, trying to be successful, that you don't actually spend any time thinking about who am I hanging out with or, you know, what am I doing to just socialise. So that's how that started. Yeah,
0: yeah, amazing. So just falling back, obviously right at the beginning, each, you know, from when the idea was first planted in your head, how did you guys build up like a following or, and how did you market yourself and what, what have been the struggles and, and the solutions that you've been through along that?
1: Yeah, wicked. I just went um, totally like, real personal when we did the first event, got the venue, it was just concrete space around the corner. And uh, so I just personally like, called or texted everybody. I don't know if you've ever got like, a, a Facebook invite to a birthday party. Like, you one, you just don't go, do you? Like, if someone's going to invite you via Facebook, like, it just feels so impersonal that you're like, no, this person doesn't even care about me. I'm not going to go to their party. So, um, so first of all, what I did was like, I called everyone. So there was about 50 people that I wanted to invite. And then um, even now, so we'll create digital invites, um, which are gifts, so they can't go on social media. And we send them first as a, as a text saying, hey, mate, just so you know, we've got our next media collective night. Just want to know you're invited before they've seen anything on social media. So the c- social media isn't, like, informing them of the event. The social media is just backing up what they already know they'd be personally invited to. So, um, yeah, I would say even, like, uh, WhatsApp, you know, pinging someone in a WhatsApp group, hey, just so you know, this is happening. Again, it's a little bit impersonal. A guy called Albert Meribin did a study, and he says when it comes to our communication, 5% of it is words, 45% of it is body language, and 50% of it is tone of voice. So I can say... Um, hey, Carmen, time has been great, thank you. Or I could say, hey, Carmen, time has been great, thank you. I said the same thing in two different ways. One of them has body language and tone of voice. So if you just text, Facebook, email, and that's your invitation, you're just using the 5%. You know? And so it's no wonder people might not want to come, might not want to hang out with you because they're missing the tone of voice and the body language. So you know, my advice, if you're looking to build something, think about the people that you're looking to build with and think how you can make that invitation as personal as possible.
2: So with my industry, I think it's the same. You have to be quite personal. Um, I feel like a lot of people fall, well, they say they fall into my job, whereas I always knew I wanted to do it. And so I made a plan and I made sure I got there. So I made a little plan at uni and I was posting every single day. I remember sitting in my bed at uni writing my dissertation and having to get out of bed and put makeup on and put an outfit on and take a picture and just making sure I was consistent with what I was putting out so that I would reach my end goal. Um, And so yeah, I think, and then also being on Instagram, you have to really, like you have to have a USP of course, but I feel like in my industry, your USP is you. So just really being you and being honest and telling stories about you and just making your whole platform about your life while still engaging with your audience and relating to your audience and including them as well. So yeah, I think that was mine, it was just having a plan and making sure that I was just, yeah, being me.
3: <laughs> um, so mine is a bit boring. Uh, it's all about research and networking, all the things that no one wants to do. <laughs> um, so I came up, I, it wasn't a light bulb moment where I had an idea, it was more that I saw a problem that I wanted to solve, and I didn't know about that problem, so I needed to research it. So actually from the first initial idea to launch was about five years. And the reason why is I wanted to be certain starting a fashion brand is hard. It takes a lot of money and it's really, really difficult. So if I was going to make this step, I needed to be sure of myself and I needed to have the right expertise to do so as well. So when I first started, I was a buyer's admin assistant in a fast fashion brand. Um, But I knew I every decision I made in my personal life and in my work life, I knew in the back of my mind it was going to one day set up my business. So as a buyer, I have a lot more contacts um, within the fashion industry than I did as a buying assistant. So it was just making sure that I reached the correct level within my career. So I wasn't working on it every day for five years, but I was preparing my future. I was getting the knowledge needed to do so and I was just retaining everything, constantly making contact so that when I did start up it was quick, I had the contacts in place and I had the foundations to be able to do so
0: Yeah, I mean when, just on the topic of social media, um, obviously we are in this influencer era right now and um The truth is it's it's definitely become a good way to market yourself whether you're starting your personal brand or professional (coughs) brand um but the barriers to entry are really really low which ultimately means you know it is saturated um and the creme rises to the top what kind of tips can you give um to really stand out um and this is probably more of a question for you nadia in terms of you know you would have started with one follower right you know how did you build up so quickly and and how how do you how would you say you can stand out from um, the saturated crowd that we live in today?
2: So I think that a lot of people think to stand out you have to be something different, but I actually think the way that you stand out is by being yourself in a very saturated market. As long as you're true to yourself, and for me especially, obviously there's trends and there's seasonal pieces and there's things that you can follow and there's things you can try and do as well as every other person, but I think as long as you... So like say, like the whole cycling short trend, I love it, but it doesn't work for me. And if I was to start putting that trend on my Instagram, people would literally be like, what are you wearing? So I think it's just like staying true to yourself will then become your USP and it will make you stand out from everyone else. So I don't think it's much of like finding what makes you stand out. I think it's more of like believing in yourself and staying true to yourself. Yeah. That. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Um, and so when you guys were first starting out, uh, obviously you would have had doubts about whether, because you're stepping into the unknown essentially, right? you don't really know what you're going into um, until you really start it, and then all of these things are going against you, and it's not like you're doing it for the money, you're doing it for money because at the beginning you don't even get paid as much, and there's so many things going against you, so the odds are, um, the truth is, wh- why, what made you continue and persevere, and and, and to go against the kind of fear of doubt that so many entrepreneurs often get at the very early stages.
2: One of my things is, one of, like, when I was young, I kind of realized that I've always heard my parents and people older than me say that they regret this and they regret that and they regret not doing that. And I never wanted to be the person that would sit with my children or my grandkids and say, <coughs> I wish I'd done that. I want to be the person that says I've done it and whether it worked or whether it didn't work, at least I will never live with that regret that I didn't do it. So that, realizing that from about the age of 14, 13 has really helped me in my life. Where It's just everything i want to do whether i'm scared of it or not i won't i won't not do it because of fear i'll just do it and if it fails it fails but at least i've tried
3: (laughs) Uh, yeah very similar um just not living in regret so i'd rather do something and fail than watch someone else do what my idea was um so definitely that's a driver also determination like being self-employed is hard and you have massive highs and really low lows and it's just about making sure that you stay grounded and just being a bit in control. Um, so I would just say that hard work, positivity and passion are just the three things where I try and live by and if I'm having a bad day, I just you just carry on. You just have you just need to work hard because you determine your own future.
1: Um, Yeah, I think um, you've got to know your why. I know Simon Sinek and the whole Golden Circle talked about it loads, you've probably heard about it, but I think your why probably needs to be more than just fame or fortune, just more than prominence and popularity. And so discovering what your why, that will probably be the driving force in the days when you don't want to get up. And then um, just facing the fear of failure and um, there's some places in life where there's zero tolerance to fail. Like um, when I go on my annual holiday with my wife and my one-year-old boy and we get our EasyJet flight to Costa del Sol. Um, I've got zero tolerance for that pilot failing, even though I paid £59 for the ticket. <laughs> zero tolerance to fail. And you know what? He doesn't ever fail. If, also, if my wife was ever going to have like, a heart transplant, I would have zero tolerance for the doctor failing. The reason why the doctor and the pilot never fail is because they've had seven years, at least, of training. And over those seven years, they've tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed. They've had flight simulators and test bodies, and that's why they're so successful. It's funny because we do like another startup, we start a business or start a company, and we think we can't fail, but the reality is you will fail, and that's part of the learning process. You try and you fail, you try and you fail, so in seven years time, in a decade's time, you won't be failing nowhere near as much as you do when you start, but if you're starting something. You want to expect failure. And you want to welcome it because failure is actually meant to teach you. It's part of the learning process.
0: Yeah, so good. And what kind of um, what kind of tips can you give around like even overcoming failure? I know a lot of people I've spoken to in the past have certain ways like meditation or surrounding themselves with a really good community who are going to bring you forwards because and that's a really interesting topic that I want to talk to you about. Um, I know. You know, Charlie, um, Dan, Dan's wife does amazing things outside of his remit, and she's looking to start her own business as well. And and ultimately, you're inspiring each other, um, and vice versa. With Nadia, I think her partner's got his own business. And can you guys shed some light on um, community and surrounding yourself with the right people, or the people? Is it is it so much about surrounding yourself with the people to support you, or the people who are going to inspire you?
1: Yeah, I think you surround yourself with the people who are going to inspire you first. And then when you know what you want to do, then you find the right people who are going to support you. And, uh, you know, you need a mentor, uh, whether it's business, even if you wanted to be a cook and you wanted to grow in your chefing skills, like you can get mentors. Um, but sometimes we think these mentors are just going to drop out of the sky. Like you've got to be proactive. You just got to find the people and you just got to say, hey, can I buy you a drink, can I take you for dinner? And it might cost you something, but the wisdom that they'll share in that in that moment is, might be the next thing that's actually going to enable you to do what you want to do. So sometimes we can be a little bit cautious about asking someone for a drink or dinner about that, but some of the most successful people on the planet today have got there because they overcame the fear of man.
0: Yeah. I think you win some and you lose some, don't you? And not to bring in graphs again, I like to see things very visually, but (laughs) I think the path to entrepreneurship or doing something of your own is very much the most volatile graph that you can get. You know, it's your choice. If you want to live that life where it's very stable um, and kind of has very little fluctuation, then that's fine. But, you know, ultimately you do have really, really big lows, but then equally you have really big highs as well. And it's like you have one life. Why not take the big highs and the big lows and learn from it, right? And so my question for you is, what is the most common struggle you see amongst today's society? And how can we take better action to improve ourselves personally in order to create more space to be more creative and and start something of our own?
1: Um, I think probably mental health is um, probably one of the biggest things facing society. And I know as soon as I say that, we think it's just... A small portion of humanity, but it's actually quite a lot of us struggle with what's going on in our mind, and it could be depression or depressive thoughts, it could be anxiety, it could just be general worry, and um, and I find a lot of the time, just in the busyness of life, like that what goes on in the mind is something that we actually don't know. Um, how to control so I read a book called The Lost Connection by a guy called Johan Harry and in it he's, he's talking about anxiety he's talking about stress talking about worry but he just says he gives three things he says first of all like do some exercise or go on a walk like get outside and don't take your phone and the phone, if you think about it, you know, if you're one of those people that you go on your phone first thing when you wake up, you go on your phone when you go to bed, um, like you're, you're always on your phone, you're always attached. And um, what you're doing is like, you're really limiting your, your mind to imagine, eliminate uh, eliminate, stopping your mind from actually just just thinking, you know, when was the last time you got a bus and you just looked out the window at what was going around you? Or when was the time you just you just started to dream? My, my boy, he's one, but he's going to be coming into the stages where he starts to imagine. And you know what kids like? There's no limit to what they imagine. But then, for some reason, he's going to stop imagining because we box them. We say, you've got to stop imagining now, and this is reality. But, you know, what if we just weren't limited in our imagination and we just kept allowing our imagination to be like be, be like a child? And all that happens in the mind. So, yarn Harry said, get outside, walk outside. You'll find your imagination will just be revitalized.
0: With you ladies like when you guys are having a bad day I mean we all have those days where we just don't want to um, get out of the house we just want to stay in bed what what do you do to get yourself back on track?
3: Um, yeah it's getting outside. The moment I'm in like the four walls I'm a northerner so I'm a country girl so I need to just be outside in fields it sounds really weird. But it's not... um, I just need open space um, because you just get so cooped up with daily life. Sometimes you just need to be a bit more free of that, and exercise is a big one um, as well, so it's, it's literally everything that Dan has said.
2: Yeah, I'm the same. I do everything that you've said, but also I have um, a five-minute journal, so when I wake up in the morning, I'll write three things that I'm looking forward to and three things that I'm really, really grateful for, and then at the end of the day, I'll write three things that went well that day. it could be as simple as like a a carrot like it could be anything but as long as it's something that you feel (laughs) positive about I was healthy today that's one of my things like as long as I feel that I've achieved something I'll write it down and it sounds silly but when you get into the rhythm of doing it and it's just literally three sentences a night three sentences in the morning it really really helps change your mindset um so that's everything you do and that
0: (laughs) yeah I think I was speaking to a friend of mine last night, I was just saying journaling has like completely yeah. changed my life. And Belinda actually, she's in the audience, she introduced me to journaling and I've been doing it for about three years now. And it's, it's honestly changed my life. And you know, sometimes before going into work and if I've got something in the back of my mind and the truth is, you, I think there's like 90,000 thoughts that go through your head per day. 90,000, and half of the stuff is in your unconscious, and this is why people do all these retreats and do yoga retreats, so to really take the time out to be still um, and dig into their unconscious, and the truth is, when you journal, you get these thoughts out onto paper, and you go into the day without that kind of messing around in your head and, and going, and, and that's what stresses you up and eats you alive, because it's like, all these thoughts are in your head, but I think, yeah, if you don't journal, start now. <laughs> um, Okay, so just throughout your, your journeys, what would you say has been the biggest challenge uh, for each and every one of you and how, how have you overcome that and turn it into a learning?
2: I think mine has been self-doubt and that never really was at the start of my journey. I always was very fearless and went into things 100%. And then I think over the, maybe like six months ago, I just hit this bit in my mind where I was just doubting myself and I was comparing myself. And I think it's so unhealthy because... Well, now I've got over it. I kind of sat down and figured out why I was feeling like this rather than just let it manifest. I tried to get to the root of the problem. And now I just changed my mindset rather than look at other people and think, why am I not doing that? I think, oh, my God, amazing for them. How can I make myself better and try and get to that place? Mm -hmm. So I think self-doubt was a huge thing. And then I now have... I was telling my sister about this metaphor earlier, and she was (coughs) laughing at me. But I think I have this... When I get this feeling of self-doubt, I imagine a horse with blinkers on... And I just think of like m- me as that, and just have blinkers on, and just focus on your own path. And as soon as you can get your head around, it's just your path and no one else's. Like it does nothing else matters. So, yeah, that's my little my little thing. What,
3: what was it? Sorry, what was the where the questions forgot?
0: Um what, kind of, what has been the biggest challenge for you along That's your journey. journey? Yeah, in general, I think for you, so I know you quite personally, Esther, and I, I remember when you, you know, from the very moment on when you first were writing your business plan and the journey you've been through has just been incredible and seeing you grow has just been really inspiring. And so I guess maybe you can tell the audience a bit more about your journey to when you were still working at Viv- Vivian Westwood and before you actually made that jump. Um, into fully being self-employed and how, what kind of feelings you were going through and and when did you know you were ready to make the jump?
3: Yeah, okay, so um, as I said before, it was about five years, so I was juggling it with having a full-time job, which is really difficult. I was working every evening, every weekend, um, which is hard. Um, and There was like about a period of a year where I had to cut down a bit on my social life and just prioritise my business. Um, but as well with that, I spoke about it a bit before, like working in the fashion industry you are subject to um, sometimes nasty, horrible environments and I remember in one particular job when I was trying to set up my own business I was um, being really, really badly treated by my manager and it, it started off where I would go into work having a bit of panic attacks because I didn't know what she, was, what she had in store for me that day and then go home crying and all that was in me was like, I just want to stop, start, start my own business and I don't have to be in this environment anymore. But actually learning to just be patient with it and stick it out and be strong and no matter what your circumstances are, just focusing on the end goal was the biggest thing that I learned because if I had rushed into it, I wouldn't have learned the things that I had um, in order for me to set up my own business. So that one definitely was. Um, and then from a the self-employment, Perspective, so once I took the jumps, I would say the biggest challenge is you go from having a full time job. I'm, I'm mental, I can't even watch television without fidgeting or like doing something else or making something like and just actually trying to just stop and relax and switch off. That was the hardest thing for me. I'm always go, go, go in my mind, and I go from that kind of work where it's all busy. I'm going from one supplier appointment to another to being on my own all day. And I just hate it. <laughs> so it's, that's why Media Collective and things like that are so good because when you freelance and when you're self-employed, you are on your own a lot of the time and it is looking after your mental health and making sure, oh, what can I do to actually get myself out there and work with other people, collaborate with other people, share offices with other people and really look after yourself. The
1: biggest thing I learned, was it?
0: The biggest challenge you
1: face so, yeah. along the journey? Um, so every Sunday, I'll be speaking to about anywhere between 500 and 8,000 people because... We meet at the Dominion Theatre around the corner and we have four services on a Sunday. So my biggest fear has always been the fear of public speaking, <laughs> which is crazy, right, because of what I do. Um, so r- really, like, when I first got asked to speak in front of 200 people and I was absolutely bricking it, uh, like, I could see my heart go through my chest and everything, I just made a decision that I wasn't going to say no. And uh, my whole life, ever since, I've been speaking now since I was about 18, 21, I'm 33 now, and so, you know, I had to do a wedding on the weekend in Morocco and I hate doing weddings, there's so much pressure on doing a flipping wedding and I wanted to say no but they're my good friends and I thought if I do say no, what I'm saying is fear, you, you win. So I just made a decision no matter what I'm asked to do, if I'm scared of it, I'm just going to say, yeah, i do it and when you do it, it's never as bad as again, what you imagine in your mind so my biggest challenge was public speaking but I feel like I'm winning at the moment
0: I feel like Wish. we should have
1: got your little video clip up. What <laughs>
0: video For one
1: of you, you know, the little... Okay, no. That's <laughs> <by>. <laughs> okay. me stacking it. Yeah! Yeah, that's so mean of you. So there was, a, there was a guitar, I was speaking in Copenhagen, and there was a guitar amp. And uh, I'm talking, and I'm trying to be funny, and I'm walking backwards, and I fully stack it. <laughs> In front of all these people on my ass, um, and the guy got the video uh, of me falling, uh, falling over and changed it into a music video, and it kind of went viral, really viral amongst yeah. our friends. Is
0: that those gifts where he was like falling again yeah. and again?
1: But I think again that's, but, such, that's such a great, uh, great thing. So I was embarrassed, but I the moment the embarrassment left was when I stopped caring what other people thought and I just owned the moment. So even if you do fail, you just own the moment and stop caring.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and what would you say is the one skill that you need to get you further in life, and why? I,
3: well, I mentioned it earlier. Um, I think that hard work, can I say three? Yes, yeah, say three. <laughs> hard work, positivity, and p- passion trumps all qualifications. If I have a, if I'm employing um, a buyer's assistant or whatever, um or whoever, sorry, um their attitude says more to me than their qualification. And with the right attitude, you can go a long way. Because, um, again, you're responsible for your own development. And if you've got someone who's really willing to learn and just humble about it and wants to be taught, um, I think that that shows more than any university qualification.
2: Yeah, okay. I agree with everything you said. And just obviously, like, self-belief. As long as, long as you believe in yourself that other people will read that
1: and agree with that and yeah just have self belief I reckon just always remain a beginner uh, as soon as you're a professional you like you stop learning you like because you know it all but beginners always have this edge because they're like sponges always absorbing so I think no matter how long you're in what you're in just always have the mindset of a beginner that way you're always going to be absorbing that's why you're always going to be innovating always going to be creating and then there's no limit to what you know you can go on to do yeah
0: good answers and have you guys heard any... What would you say... have there been any bad recommendations in your area of expertise? Um, so, like, for example, you, Dan, is there something that you always hear in the industry which you know that that is definitely not right?
1: I think so. Like, people say, oh, if something's not right, go and tell your boss, as in, like, go and complain about how you're not, like, you know, you haven't got enough resources to create what you want to do, you haven't got enough time, just, you know, complain. But Simon Sinek, who wrote the book Why, he talks about artificial restraint, and he gives his staff... Restraint. He boxes them on purpose because he knows it's when we're limited, when we really come out with these amazing cre- creative ideas, because because you know the only way out of it is to create. And so, so I've, I never go to my boss asking him for more time, asking him for more money, asking him for more resource. I just look at my limitations and instead of complaining about them, I say, well, that's, that's a great opportunity for me to come up with something new. So... You know, you might, you might hate the situation at the moment. You might not think it's fair, but I encourage you, like, look at it and see what you can do differently with it, and maybe you can come up with a new cre- creative idea within that.
2: So I think in my industry, it's everyone's always telling you to be different and to stand out and to make sure that you stand out against the crowd, but I think then people then go and look to find how they can be different, but I've already touched on the fact that I think if you're just being yourself then you're going to stand out in a a market full of everyone else doing their own thing as well. So, yeah, it's just, I've already said it loads of
3: times, but being yourself. Um, I would say mine is, um, I've touched on it before and without being too (laughs) depressing about fashion. Um, It's hearing the phrase, that's the nature of buying or that's the nature of fashion. So when people are really mistreated, underpaid, working really bad hours, um, the answer to it is, that's the nature of fashion. And that's why I wanted to start my company, Fabric for Freedom, because what if we changed the nature of fashion to actually be something positive and good for people rather than have this negative impact? Yeah, I agree.
0: So can we talk about the topic of time? Um, because I know this is something that everyone struggles with, You know, trying to find time to be creative, but then to do the actual work itself and the deep work. and. Also, to eat healthy and to drink enough water to see your friends, to exercise, whatever. You know, time is constantly everyone's challenge and struggle. What kind of um, tools and tips can you guys give for managing your time and making sure you're doing stuff which, which is productive and and going towards what you're trying to achieve in the long run?
3: Yeah, okay. Um, so as an entrepreneur, you have a million things to do. You've got to wear so many different hats and be every department. So what I've really learned... Is focusing on one thing. I've got so much to do that I try and do a little bit of that, little bit of that, little bit of that. And it just you would end up just wasting your time. Focus on one thing, do one thing really well and excellent. Then move on to the second thing. I'd rather do that one thing amazing, and um, then have loads of little unfinished bits. And that's to do with like expanding my brand as well. Like there's so many areas that I want to explore and do and so many products that I want to include but actually I'd rather get that one thing focused and that one thing done correctly before I move on to the next things.
2: So I'm
3: a list maker,
2: I make hundreds and hundreds of lists and I read a book, I think it's called Get Your Shit Together, have you heard of that? It's really good and she said to write a list of course but then to take that list and write another list and prioritise what needs done that day and so it sounds so simple but when I started implementing that into my life all these lists then made sense rather than have 10 things that I kind of got through I made sure that today okay I need to get this and this and this done and then tomorrow I can start on this and this and this so yeah I think it's just list making and seeing it visually for me it helps me get through in time management
1: awesome that's very good Um, yeah I for me, I'll just be honest. Where I'm at, I'm not so much about managing my time. I'm more about managing my enemy and uh, en- my energy. Cause if I, am, so I manage my time really well. So I've got my work hours, and then I get home, I've got my family hours. So I might manage all my hours well, but I've got loads of energy for work, but no energy for my son. To me, that's that's wrong. You know, I want to have energy for my son. So for me, I've had to look at my time, but look at what reenergizes me. So I might go to work, but then I might go to the gym, because for me, gym reenergizes me. It gives me energy, perks me up. So that means when I see my family, I'm like full of energy, full of joy. So also think about your time, but think about you know where do you get your energy from, and maybe looking at scheduling your time with those things are actually going to energise you so you're not depleted when you want to be energised.
0: It's just about not spreading yourself too thinly because we've all been there before when, you know, you see someone and you feel like you can't fully give yourself. But, yeah, really good answers. Um, So a couple more questions before we open it up to the audience. Um, So, Nadia, you mentioned that book. Um, What what would you say is your your favourite book and Why? Um,
2: okay, so everyone probably knows the book, but it's called *The Secret* by Rhonda Rhonda Byrne. Is that her name? Um, about the law of attraction and just—it's kind of like about like the the voice in your head. And if you start believing everything that you want, then you'll start then taking actions to do that. And I think it sounds like. If you don't read it and you don't believe the law of attraction, it just sounds like, oh, okay, yeah, well, everyone knows that. But I think, actually, when you put it into practice, it's crazy how much it really does affect your life. So, yeah, the secret. Um,
3: mine is, I'm only halfway through, so I don't know. Hopefully, I'll carry on being my best book. But it's the 5am Club. I don't know whether anyone's heard of it haven 't got to the bit where you get up at five a yeah. <laughs> yeah. m <laughs> but it's basically about it 's an entrepreneurial book, but it, you can apply it to your life if you 're not an entrepreneur and it 's just about making sure that you cre- you create your mornings to make you have a winning day so it 's all about like looking at your mindset, your beliefs, the way that you look value yourself and um, but also about having excellent behavior and living for others. Um, and it's about like meditating on those facts as well so just spending those time in the morning to set your mind straight so that you can have a much more productive day um, and a lot more efficient
1: um, I was quite inspired by a book called Creativity Inc by Ed Cutmore he's the CEO of Pixar I was just thinking about it today because I walked past and saw the Toy Story 4 um, movie uh, advert and, uh, and really, if you look at um, this book, it's loads of different stories about the, just the culture of, of Pixar. I'll just give you one example. They did Toy Story 1, and it was a blockbuster. So Disney said he'd do Toy Story 2 for DVD release, and the staff started working on it for a DVD release. And then as they worked on it, they just said, that, like, Toy Story isn't a DVD release, it's a blockbuster. So let's go back to Disney and say, look, we want to do this as a blockbuster. For the same money and the same time, we're going to go the extra mile as the staff because we believe this is a blockbuster. And as you all know, it was a blockbuster, then Toy Story, th- Toy Story 3, which made me cry, <laughs> and then Toy Story 4. You know, it was because those staff members knew they were, they wanted to do something much better than what was even asked for. And I just love that because wouldn't it be amazing if, when I think about my team that I get to work with as creators, creators, if they wanted to go the extra mile, not because I'm telling them to, because they want to. I feel, I feel like that sort of drive is inspiring. So, yeah, that book has definitely got a lot of that.
0: Yeah, I remember you saying that, actually. It's really interesting. I just want to kind of go back to the the morning routine because I think that is so powerful. And um, for those of you <coughs> that know me, know that I'm not a morning person. And <laughs> I'm that person at, like, 3 a.m. where I'm, like, still dancing. Like, you know, and, it, and so for me, I think... I've really implemented that and, and now I'm have like made myself a morning person and, and some of the things I do, just even tricks like taking a cold shower and, and meditating and but I actually like I do not check my phone before I wake you, you know, the first thing you do, you, you your alarm's there and you wanna check your phone, I make it very I've disciplined myself to not check my phone because it's just like the when you wake up you're not even consciously awake yet and it's just it's crazy if you're like seeing all these emails and then it just becomes, you know, your mind just gets really flooded. And, and so I think the importance of having a morning routine is really, really vital and I can't express how uh, how amazing it has been for me. And so my question for you guys is, what what's your morning routine and, and do you have one and do you think it's kind of helped in your daily life? Uh, yeah, so
3: this book has actually really helped me. I'm not sure whether I will get up at 5am, might be like 6 or 7 but... We'll see. Um, but I think that, well, well, what you mentioned, Carmen, before, it, I, there was some days where I was getting up, because I wasn't getting up going out of the house to work straight away, I was working from home, that I really felt my energy levels, like, really, really drop. So doing um, the things that we mentioned before about just getting in the shower straight away to, like, really wake yourself up so you're not all like, oh, do I have to do this or whatever, and then getting yourself outside as quickly as possible... Um, What we mentioned before about um, just if you are just spending some time just away from technology and just filling yourself with positivity. So whether that's podcasts, a book or um, any other resources or like everyone says about journaling, just starting your day positive. Um, So that's what I try and do as well.
2: So I work out two or three times a week and I set the workouts for 7am in the morning. So I get up at 6, I jump in the shower, get dressed and then by the time I'm ready I have to really leave the house and go straight to that workout and it sets my mood up so well for the day. It's crazy. And then if I'm not doing that then I'm quite guilty of going on my phone. But I'll make sure I get up and I'll, I always say lists, but I'll write a very like clear plan of the day and things I want to get done and what time it's at. So
1: as the day goes on I can check off what I'm doing and it just keeps me like aware for the day um, My routine's sort of been dictated to me by my son So <laughs> uh, 6 or 7, that's my, me and him um, just looking after him then 7 to 8, that's me at the gym get back, 8.20, 30 is me getting ready 8.30, I'm on my way to the office I'm in the office by about quarter to 9 from that all the way till 6, normally in the office come home, um, bath my son and then say hello to my wife uh, have some dinner, if not, and then I'm, I'm out and I'm out most nights and it's uh, and she she works um, she's a Europe director for an anti human trafficking organization she's got a night tonight um, with similar t- like this with a load of people who just want to make a difference in the world in the social justice arena and um, yeah so so we have a daily routine uh, but as, as soon as we start seeing those early warning signs of something's not right uh, we just have to drop just drop stuff and I think it's so good having a routine but then it's really important to make sure you can break your routine if something in your life is just going a little bit wrong and you know you just need hey, I'm not going to do my 7 a.m. gym tomorrow. I just need to actually get some rest or I just need to read a book or whatever.
0: Okay, so final question. If you guys could have um, a big billboard and you had something written on it with your name on it, what would, what would you have said on it and why?
1: I'd just have um, live without fear. Uh, sounds like night or something like that. But yeah, I'd just say just, just live without fear. I reckon that'd be, your life would be cool if
3: you did that. Yeah, I don't
2: know what I'd put on it, but it would be along the lines of like, never regretted anything in life, because I really, really stand by that. So, <laughs> um,
3: mine would be change things you can't accept.
0: Amazing, love that. All right, well, I think that's we're gonna have to wrap it up for this evening. Can we just give a round of applause to our panelists, Sam Nadia and Esther? Amazing. hopefully all of you guys will be able to take home pockets of wisdom um, and be able to implement some of the tips and tools um, that they've shared in your daily lives no matter where you are uh, and what stage you're doing and whatever Um, but yeah um, please do uh, please do fill out um, the forms and tag us and take photos Um, again thank you so much for coming today and please feel free to stick around come and chat to the guys up here if you've got any more questions that you want to ask um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming. And there's still more food, right? <laughs> <laughs> Massive. So can we say thank you to Freya? Um, who's come along? <laughs> she's a So she's got, yeah. They're still um, amazing that and in Patas. So help yourself to food and drink. Alright, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>